I shouldn't have said it. I knew it was wrong the second it came out of my mouth. I wanted to pull the words back in and forget they ever existed. But that's not how things like this work. As I lay here dying, I want to warn anyone reading this that my story is not pretty. But you must finish it once you start. For if you are here, he may already be watching you. Remember not to scream, and do not run until you get to the end. Listen to me. There is a monster lurking in these woods, and if you see it, it will kill you. The pain came so fast this time that I barely had a moment to prepare before I was pushing. I guess I shouldn't have been so shocked. I'd given birth 12 other times, and each baby came quicker than the last. But this was different. They're all gone now, the 12 others. I can't see all the carnage with my eyes, but I know he got them, all of them. The invisible tether between them and me has been cut, and now I am drifting through my last moments alone with my thoughts. I used to foolishly wish I could be alone with my thoughts for just a moment. I didn't realize they were so dark. Through the open front door, I can see my husband lying on a small patch of grass in front of our cottage. It's the only space on our property that sees sunlight and does not collect pine needles. When the weather is fine, the pool of sunlight that collects in that rare and defiant grass is otherworldly. I believe that there are moments of true and beautiful magic in this life, but most often we see them by accident. I always thought that this space would be where I caught my glimpse. And I was right. It was. True magic is not always beautiful. My husband had run out the front door to try and catch it. I don't know what he thought would happen when he did. He stood there in the small clearing, thinking that he was looking for it. But I knew that it was really looking for him. And it would not stop until the task was done. One moment my husband was shouting, and the next moment the creature was upon him. It struck him to the ground with its talons, leaving large gashes across his chest, then stood over him in triumph. It paused and stretched out its large, leathery wings, which stopped the rain from hitting my husband's face. For the first time since the madness began, my husband could see the beast clearly. He looked into the creature's eyes and saw something he did not expect to see. Something familiar. The shock alone could have killed him, but it didn't have time to. The creature's claws were quicker. He is still lying there. My husband. The fireplace poker clenched in one fist, the family Bible in the other. I don't know which he thought was going to save him, but both were ineffective. One of his legs is hanging from the upper boughs of an oak tree further down the dirt road. But his head is nowhere in sight. Our cottage is small. Sleeping was done in close quarters, and not everyone had a bed. This last baby came in the dead of night. Blood from the attic bedroom has soaked through the floorboards and now runs from the ceiling in a slow drip. It lands right next to my head and sounds like a heartbeat. The midwife lives just down the road, so when it was time, my eldest was able to fetch her quickly. My pains were strong and steady by the time they arrived. I was already laying on the floor by the hearth, linens boiled on the stove, ready. 
the midwife did not get the chance to remove her coat. Three pushes and he was out. I knew something was wrong because the baby did not scream, but the midwife did. She lowered the baby to the ground and crawled backward toward the door. His eyes, she whispered. I reached for the silent infant, but his body began to twitch and contort. His limbs bent at unnatural angles and grew rapidly. His mouth opened, splitting wide to reveal a full set of teeth. A high, thin shriek ripped open the stillness that had prematurely settled over the house. The stunned midwife ran out the door, leaving it open for the rain to blow in. It was happening. When I learned this baby was on the way, I was not pleased. I had thought my fertility was coming to an end, but when the quickening began, I realized I had been wrong. My husband proclaimed it was a blessing, but I knew it was a curse. We could scarcely afford to feed the children we had, let alone another. I was ragged, exhausted, frustrated, and barely keeping up. A blessing, I said to him. You think this is a blessing? He simply shrugged his shoulders and said that yes, all children are a blessing. This was easy for him to say, as the only thing he did for any of his children was make them. This is not a blessing, I yelled. When the baby is here, you'll see. You'll see because this one will make you see. Let this one show you how wrong you are. Let this one be a devil. Scarcely had the words left my lips before the quickening in my stomach shifted. The baby slowed down, unnaturally, and moved with purpose. It pressed its tiny fist into my belly until it was visible through my dressing gown. He came for me last. I did this to him brought him into this world monstrous and wild. He wanted me to see the revenge he took. He slashed open my belly as I tried to push him into the fire, but fire cannot kill those who are born of hell. As I fell backward, unable to fight anymore, he stood in the flames, well over six feet tall by now, nodded once to signify that he had finished his terrible deeds, and flew up the chimney into the night sky. Seconds later, the midwife's husband came running in the open door. He did not know what to expect as she had only told him to come and quickly. Hello, he cried. Is anyone still alive in there? Yes, I said weakly. Mrs. Leeds, it looks as though you have been set on by a pack of wolves. Where are the children? He asked in a panic. They're all dead, I said plainly. And it wasn't wolves that tore this house apart. Perhaps a bear then, he said. Whatever did this is dangerous. We'll have to set traps at once. The midwife's husband looked nervously over his shoulder. Oh, he's dangerous, I said. But you won't catch him. Him? The midwife's husband wondered quietly as I reached for a piece of spent coal from the fire and a scrap of paper that had fallen to the floor. It wasn't an animal that did this, I said. It was my son. I'm Holly. I'm Leslie. And we, we would be, be dead. dead.
killer baby. That's right, it's a killer baby. Oh, I bet he was cute. For like a minute, and yeah. then he gets not cute. Not cute at all. No, way less. <laughs> <laughs> Man, that was uh, that was on point this week. Thank you. <laughs> the cinematic one. Yeah. I feel like the Jersey Devil has gotten unjust cinematic treatment. Like, there's no really good Jersey Devil movie, and there should be. It's such a good story. It is, I know. And you could give it a way better treatment than it's gotten. Right. Yeah. I mean, it feels like a Damien story. Yeah. Like it could be there. And I'll, I mean, we'll talk about other versions of it later with more details that you could use and write like a really legit story. Yeah. Maybe that's my, my thing in life. Maybe I write the Jersey Devil movie. There you go. All right, you guys. We're copywriting it. We're crowdfunding it. <laughs> it's our idea. You heard it here first. <laughs> there you go. Hey, Leslie. Hey, Holly. Hey, fiends. We have such a fun episode for you guys this week. We needed a fun one. Yeah. I felt like sometimes we just like get, it gets really heavy and I feel like we have to do something kind of silly. I agree. I agree. I always agree with that. I know. You're like, but the silly ones are really fun. I, they don't get as many listens as like the graphic, horrible ones. <laughs> I know. Well, yeah, but they're pretty close. Oh, yeah, yeah. I guess the Cursed Objects one is really popular. Mm-hmm. Huh. And the the Nightmare on Elm Street, like the the movie. Yeah, we'll do a second installment of the Based on a True Story yeah, one soon one. because people really liked that one and they've asked for more of them. Mm-hmm. So we can definitely do another round of that. That's yeah. fun. But uh, this week, we're going to talk about something else. The New Jersey Pine Barrens holds so many wild and dramatic secrets that I know this probably also won't be the only episode we devote to them. Mm-hmm. There is a whole ass serial killer that buried people in the pines that I don't even talk about. Shit. I know. This week, we're going to take a little walk through piney history before focusing on the main event, Jersey's very own monster. And not all states have one, so we're very proud. The Jersey Devil. Whoop, whoop. I know. I like it. And I know that piney is a complicated term. I'm going to start out by saying that because we use it a few more times in this episode. But here is the deal. Recently, it is a term that people who live in that area have like kind of pridefully reclaimed. And it is a culture all of its own. It's similar to like Appalachian culture or like maybe like has touches of like Louisiana Bayou type culture, but it has its own, it's its own thing. Mm-hmm. So Appalachian? To some people. To some Ap- people, it's Appalachian. Oh, I've never heard Appalachian. Yeah. Um, there's, oh my God. So uh, one of the podcasts I listen to myself is Time Suck. And um he says it differently every time Dan Cummins does. And there's been like huge debates on it. And like people who are from there weigh in and they say both. Oh, weird. So yeah, it's weird. It's very weird. Um, so I read it differently every time because I'm always hyper thinking it. Okay. So if you are from like, like if I was saying the Appalachian Trail, I would yeah. say it that way. Right. But like when they're talking specifically about the culture. I don't know. It's weird. If you're from that area, weigh in and let us know what you think and how you like it pronounced. Okay. Because I've heard both. But anyway, Pineys have their very own culture. And while it is historically derogatory in some ways, it is also the only descriptor I can use. I use the people of the Pine Barrens sometimes, but like, again, it's a complicated term. I never mean it hostily. I always mean it with love. Okay. So just going to say that right there. It should come as no surprise to any of you that over the years, I've read quite a lot about the wild kangaroo bat that calls our fair state home. And it's weird that he doesn't have a name. Well... Yeah, I guess so. 
I mean, if we want to be very technical, he is most likely based off a um, an off-color comment about a New Jersey man named Titan Leeds. Yeah. The comment is made by Benjamin Franklin, too, so this is really fun. Wonderful. Yes. The actual origin story at the heart of this week's episode is based on a really sick historical burn, which I love. But if we're talking about the actual creature that has grown in reputation to mythic proportions, it's always quite formal, full title or nothing, just the Jersey Devil. Mm. So maybe we should give him a name. We'll circle back to it. Okay. And speaking of circles, my under eyes are out of control. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Many of you are aware that sleeping is a skill I have yet to master. And so often I walk around sporting freshly zombified, punched in the eye, cold terror sweat circles. Mm. Yeah. That mm. only other non-sparkly vampires really can know and appreciate. For sure. Mm-hmm. I wish I could say I could solve my under eye circle problem by just getting a good night's sleep, but we all know that isn't going to happen. So I've taken to looking up other methods. And there were a couple I found particularly interesting. But since I don't know where to get unicorn sweat and our jar of baby's blood is all dried up, right? It's still dried up? Yeah. Oh, mm-hmm. Lord. I guess I'll have to settle for a healthy dose of cooling. Validation. A hill worth dying on. Because I'm running up that hill. Oh, boy. <laughs> Get in there. Make us searchable. I promise you a Stranger Things Satanic Panic episode very soon. Maybe next. Oh, yeah. Yeah. we am feeling it. All right. We'll do the D&D Satanic Panic Stranger Things thing next. So we look forward to that next week, you guys. Um, But anyway, validation. And wouldn't you know it, our fiends can hook us up with that. Validation. Woo! But how? You might be asking yourself in the middle of Target because you're listening through earphones while shopping for fake plants and office supplies. Mm. No? Just me? No, everybody. Everybody Everybody. does that. Everybody. Yep. (laughs) Okay, well, I'll tell you. Simply head on over to Spotify or Apple Podcasts and leave us a five-star rating and or a friendly review. It really is the only way to move this podcast forward. And we really, 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 really want to move forward. More is more, after all. And with more support, you will be able to get more content. But if you're impatient about that one and you want more, we would be dead in your life right now. You can support us over on Patreon, where for just a few dollars a month, patrons will enjoy full access to all of our extra minisodes and 30-minute horror movies, plus our weekly video after show host mortem, which we are going to um, start providing in just an audio format as well. Because um, after talking with some of our patrons, they said it would be easier if they could just play it like a regular podcast. Mm-hmm. So if you are a patron, look forward to be able be able to um, shop for fake plants and office supplies and listening to host mortem. Yeah. <laughs> and us just talk about the dog Dipper. Yeah, we'll talk, you we talk about Dipper or we talk about... He's like eating your he's body. vicious right now because he's teething really hard. Yeah, and we talk about other weird stuff and the week's case and other cases. We talk about all kinds of things. So you definitely want to get access to that. Patrons also get opportunities for special giveaways, merch offers, gifts in the mail from us, an on-air toast dedicated just to you, and more. And if all of that is a little much for your busy schedule, you can always simply follow us on social media. We are at Would Be Dead Pod everywhere and anywhere. Like our posts, share our posts, like and share our posts, <laughs> post about your favorite episode, let us know when you're listening, tell a friend, tell a neighbor. Tell the Jersey Devil if he happens to stop by your house. Leslie, what's his name? She's like channeling something right now. Her eyes are closed. She's focusing. All right, because it's got to be old timey. Sure, sure. Yeah. 
Agamemnon. Agamemnon. Yes. Oh, boy, that's like biblical. Agamemnon. Or no, that's Greek. Okay. (laughs) Agamemnon leads. (laughs) Perfect. (laughs) Then your friends and Agamemnon leads can become fiends and we can all hang out together. And let's be honest, you want to hang out with that guy. Yeah. I mean, Agamemnon. He has a story to tell. He was the cutest of the four kittens. Do you remember that kid's book? A kitten named Agamemnon? Yeah. I don't. Oh, I hope I hope other people know this book. What? It's, it's my brother and mine's favorite book. Was it about the Siamese cats who are connected at the tail? Or? No. It's just four cute little kittens. Is Agamemnon? He was the littlest of them all. Why so would that the be his name? the time staying out of trouble. What a wild book you read as a child. <laughs> oh, boy. All right, you guys. We'll report back if you know about Agamemnon the kitten. And it's and it's uh it makes sense for this because he was the youngest and according to the Jersey Devil yeah. he would have been the last he was the last in the Leeds yeah. family so okay I'm I'm here for it okay. let's do it lastly I want to thank you guys for sharing our episode on Caitlin Aikens and sharing Caitlin's missing poster so much a lot of you guys really came through it meant the world to Caitlin's family and to us. Alongside our episode on Caitlin, we debuted our Not a Runaway merchandise, and this particular logo has its own mission. Each month, we will cover an unsolved missing persons case. So we're going to do a missing case every month now. And each month, we will donate the proceeds of our Not a Runaway merch to that cause. We will also list the charity for direct donation, if that's more your style, in the episode dedicated to it and in our socials. So this month, the money goes to Caitlin's family to help with the cost of their ongoing investigation. Because if you listened last week, you know that they are doing so much on their own. So, yeah, every little bit helps, guys. I think that's all I have this week. Leslie, do you have anything to add before we begin? Nope. All right, then. On with the show. Folklore is an invaluable part of every culture. Usually the stories contain elements of magic and the supernatural and are designed to protect children from the dangers of the world around them. They may start off tame, but once these stories spend a couple hundred years on the spin cycle, they evolve into something bigger and a legend is born. The legend we're talking about today was born on a stormy night in 1735. Oh, the thunder and lightning. So dramatic. (laughs) Or so it goes. This week's opening monologue was my spin on the Jersey Devil's famed origin story, but since we're getting historical on your ass right now, I'll begin by telling you all the government version. And yes, there is a government version. (laughs) The New Jersey State website has it, like a whole section on it and everything. That's amazing. (laughs) So if you go to like newjersey.gov, there is like a tab on the Jersey Devil. Amazing. You can click on it. And it's also in every single book about the Pine Barrens. I told you we were proud. So here we go. Picture it. Leeds Point, 1735. Oh, wait, you can't picture it because you know nothing about the Pine Barrens? Well, that's fair. You might not live here. And as a world class of an ecosystem as it is, the Pines do not have universal appeal or acclaim. Unless you count the Sopranos. Remember that one where Polly and Christopher get stuck in the woods and they're like eating ketchup packets? Yeah. That's the Pine Barrens. Fun. Yeah. (laughs) That's everybody's reference to the Pine Barrens, too. They're like, like that episode of The Sopranos when Paul and Christopher got stuck out in the woods. I'm like, yeah. yeah. Like, don't eat those berries. They're poison. Yeah, most of them are. Mm-hmm. F- we'll get to that in a minute. 
But let me explain a little further or take you on a trip back to third grade science class, depending on who you are. The New Jersey Pine Barrens is the largest remaining example of the Atlantic Coastal Pine Barrens ecosystem, which is a real Game of Thronesy type forest that thrives in fire and blood. Ooh. I know, and I'm not kidding, it really does. Okay. The name Pine Barrens refers to the area's uh, sandy, acidic, nutrient-poor soil. After they arrived, European settlers quickly realized that they could not cultivate any of their familiar crops out in the pines. Because of its unique ecology, the Pine Barrens does, however, support a diverse spectrum of bizarre and threatening plant life. (laughs) True. It includes orchids, carnivorous plants, Itchy leaves and poisonous berries everywhere. Oh, and blueberries. So you might die, but you can also make a cobbler. Okay. Right. Death cobbler. Hmm. Delicious. But you can eat the blueberries? Just the blueberries, yes. Okay. Well, there's a couple other species of plant that have berries you can eat, but they also look like the berries that'll probably make you very sick. So only blueberries. Okay. Stay away from everything else. The area is also notable for its population of rare pygmy pitch pines Mm. and other plant species that depend on frequent fires to reproduce. Okay. You heard me right. These are trees that thrive here because they reproduce in fire. That's so wild. It's super wild and super metal. How does a tree reproduce in fire? Well, the pine cones of the pygmy pitch pine will only open when heated by flames. Mm. Mm -hmm. And if that never happens, well, they will just re-sprout through their own bark, which is like you and I growing a child through the skin on our arm. Ow. Mm -hmm. And fortunately for the creepy-ass pygmy pitch pine, fires are so common in the pine barrens that they have become an integral part of the ecosystem. When there aren't enough fires, well, the Parks Department will just go out there and start a controlled blaze to keep the gods appeased. Oh, That's, have we seen? Yes. Okay. Mm-hmm. So, so sometimes, patches. yeah, out on like 55 or something, if you're driving and you see like, it looks like there was a fire, like a low fire, nothing that yeah. crawled up high. Those are all on purpose. They're, they're like a controlled blaze. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. And these pine cones, like they close really tight. And then if you put them in a fire, they open up like oh. a dragon egg. I love it. Yeah. So wow. Very Game of Thronesy. Phoenix rising from the ashes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's a very Silent Hill situation for plants in the Pine Barrens, and there are an awful lot of them. The Pine Barrens is home to at least 850 species of plants, um, of which 92 are considered threatened and endangered. Mm-hmm. There are several species of orchids. None of them are pretty. They're all terrifying, including the pink lady slipper. The region hosts more than 20 species of wild berry, including the wild raisin, red chokeberry, highbush blueberry, huckleberry, and bearberry, oh, and cranberry, and then a whole bunch of other berries and flowers that will absolutely kill you if you eat them. Will the chokeberry make you choke? Yeah, it'll give you, like, tickle in your throat, I believe. Mm -hmm. I don't know much about that one, but I know that, like— What about the bearberry? I don't know. I don't know much about that one either. I didn't look them all up. I know that there are— are like pokeweed and all kinds of other fun little berries that if you accidentally eat them or if your pet eats them, they will die. And they all love the pine barrens. Mm. And I know this because my entire lot is composed of the same kind of ecosystem as the pine barrens. So Mm -hmm. I basically live in the pines. Right. Fun. The state of New Jersey also just issued a hemlock advisory. (laughs) True story. 
<laughs> especially for that area, which means that this notorious murder blossom is popping up in backyards and empty lots all over. And it looks a lot like the wild carrot we all picked as kids known as Queen Anne's Lace, but it's not. Hemlock can kill you just by looking at you. Should you inhale its dust and pollen while walking by it, you could find yourself gravely ill within minutes. And hemlock poisoning looks a lot like COVID when it hits. So don't be confident with your NyQuil and Gatorade if you suddenly feel fluish after hiking. Oh my goodness. So yes. scary. Mm-hmm. Um, I hate to sidetrack for a second, but what is this carrot thing? Oh, Queen Anne's lace. You don't know what that looks like? No. It's like a white lacy blossom that's like the size of a silver dollar. It's all little tiny flowers. Google it. And I believe it's like you pull it up and it's like a turnip carrot type situation in the bottom. Like it's a wild derivative of the carrot. But it's a weed that's pretty. So a lot of times kids will pick it. Oh, okay. Looks familiar. Right. And then Google hemlock and they are very similar. It's around there. Except for hemlock is like a a historical poison that I believe it was who killed themselves with hemlock famously. Socrates? It was somebody very famously like died by suicide via hemlock. And um, like... Any kind of right to die movement is connected to an organization called the Hemlock Society, who, um, this is a huge sidetrack, I didn't even have it written, who um, campaigns for, like, death with dignity acts. Okay. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. So, uh, there's wild hemlock all over New Jersey now, and it was originally just kind of in the pines, but now it's all over, so don't, don't touch it. (laughs) I'll be sure to post pictures of hemlock and keep you guys all safe. We scare because we care. But the plants are not alone, of course. There are a barrage of potentially dangerous animals and birds living in this acidic burning wasteland as well. Great. I kid. It is all of those things, but it's also like a beautiful and eerie place to be. It is. It was. It's awesome. To We've been lost in the Pine Barrens. For sure. For hours. <laughs> and it is beautiful there. And I would totally go again. But it has its own scary. There was fire when we went there. Remember, yeah. we were like, oh, it's it's all, there was a fire out here. What's going on? Right. It's probably a controlled why. blaze to keep the, yeah, the pine trees reproducing. Anyway, the Pine Barrens is home to at least 39 species of mammals, over 300 species of birds, 59 reptile and amphibian species, and 91 species of fish. At least 43 species are threatened and endangered. Um, so, you know. Keep them safe, including plug your ears, Leslie. Oh, no. No, no, no. We don't need to talk about the it. The rare eastern timber rattlesnake <laughs> and bald eagles. Oh. You guys, I see bald eagles fly over my yard all the time. All the time. Yeah, for sure. When you were a kid, did you ever once see a fucking bald eagle? Uh, Like, I do remember when I've seen one because it was so special. Right. Yeah. Right. Uh, I never saw them anywhere until a couple years ago. And suddenly they're the patriotic neighbors who might eat my dog. Yeah. They're like everywhere. Yeah, I've seen them up here too. My old neighborhood in Delhaven, there's like families of them. They're all over the place. Mm. It's wild to suddenly just see bald eagles like hanging out all over the place. At least it was to me. I was not used to that. So the pines are also home to bears, bobcats, coyotes, cougars, and a myriad of bitey spiders like the brown recluse and black widow and other bugs and creepy crawlies that make you itch. I don't think I want to go back there now. We were on a trail, so we were way better off. Okay. Um, This is just like if you wander out into the woods. We were very close to doing that. We took an access (laughs) road back to civilization because John, like, GPSed us out. Oh, man, you guys. That was the last time we thought we were going to talk about the Jersey Devil. Yeah. <laughs> and then that happened. <laughs> so, 
After learning all of these wonderful fun facts about the Pine Barrens, it shouldn't shock you to learn that they remain mostly rural and undisturbed. Not super hospitable for people, the Pines, or so we are going to think at this point in the story, but it does serve an amazing purpose. Amidst the poison flames and danger noodles, the Pine Barrens also contains some of the purest water on the planet. Weird, right? Uh, the pines help recharge the 17 trillion gallon Kirkwood Cohancy Aquifer. So a lot of our fresh water comes from the Pine Barrens. Nice. Yeah. As a result of all these factors in 1978, Congress passed legislation to designate 1.1 million acres of the Pine Barrens as the Pinelands National Reserve. It's the nation's first national reserve, in fact, to preserve its ecology. A decade later, it was designated by the United States as an international biosphere reserve. Development in the Pinelands National Reserve is strictly controlled by an independent state and federal agency, the New Jersey Pinelands Commission. So what lives in the pines stays in the pines. And nobody else is to enter or exit. Hmm. And that is how it was and is and always shall be. Outsiders are not welcome to stomp around, build designer cabins, and ruin our shit like they have elsewhere. Stay out of New Jersey, please. We like our murder woods pure. But what did I call them? The prickle forest? Yeah. That was the other <laughs> Yes. It's like somebody's going to get regionally mad at me and be like, it's not the Pine Barrens, you stupid rube. It's the prickle forest. I've never heard of that. Me neither, but wouldn't it be cute if that, I made it up. Oh, you, oh, okay. Straight, okay. I straight made that up. But, like, maybe we should start it. I like it. It's adorable. If you get lost in the prickle forest, there's bales. Yeah. Prickly bales. <laughs> Prickly bales. <laughs> okay. But what we want and what actually happens are often two different things. So while we want people to stay out, they don't always. And while it's nice that the pines are now protected from development, remember this didn't happen until 1978 in an area that the Dutch settled in the 1600s. People have been there for a while. So how have the pines stayed untouched by the outside world for all these years? Well, the fact that they're completely inhospitable is a great start, but it helps when you follow that up with a really, really good monster. Mm. So, picture it. Leeds Point, 1735. I can picture it now. Oh, no, wait, you don't know where Leeds Point is. Oh, just kidding. <laughs> you probably do. <laughs> okay, let's do this real quick. Leeds Point is an unincorporated community in Galloway Township, so we're close, in Atlantic County, New Jersey. Leeds Point has a post office with a zip code of 08220, and mine is 08230, so my house is Jersey Devil Territory to the max. Uh, the town, Leeds Point, is named after the Leeds family, whose first American member, Daniel Leeds, who we're going to talk about a whole lot later, was the Surveyor General of West Jersey. When New Jersey was a province, it was divided into East and West. Unlike now, when we just fight about North and South, or as I like to call it, New York Jersey and Philly Jersey. Around the beginning of the 18th century, after immigrating to New Jersey from the city of Leeds in England, Daniel Leeds claimed the land which now makes up Leeds Point. The Leeds have lived there ever since then, and some of them still do to this day. Find lots of Leeds in the Jersey phone book. Okay, back to business. Picture it. Now you totally can. Leeds Point, 1735. The Leeds family was one of the few to make claim to a plot of lands in the rough and inhospitable Pine Barrens, and they weren't about to give it up simply because life was occasionally hard out there. The family lived in a small cottage along a dirt path. It wasn't much, but there was a roof over their heads. 
The Leeds were Quakers with some power and influence, and so they were inclined to have a rather large family. Twelve children was the tally in the beginning of 1735, to be exact. And while this was seen as a blessing to many, it did not make it easy on mother Leeds. Oh, no. Poor mother. Just 12 children she couldn't handle. No. Doesn't that sound awful? <laughs> Sounds so awful. I, I don't want to be mother Leeds. Oh, my God. Out just... in the inhospitable pines in a cabin. Right. Like, you can't even grow shit or play outside because everything is dangerous. Yeah. That's the, that's what I'm saying. It's very remote, and you can't, like, be alone or hang out or do anything. And also, for, like, how many years was just a parasite taking over her body? I'm... <laughs> Could have, could have Which been. is the miracle of babies. At least 12. <laughs> at least 12 years. Yeah. More than that, yeah. So she was just nonstop pregnant in a place where she couldn't do anything or be outside alone, really. Wild. Yeah. So keeping up with the needs of 12 children was a struggle. Food was scarce because, as we mentioned before, it's not like you can grow your own out there. Right. I feel like she was the food. Kind of, yeah. She definitely was. Money was scarce. And being the first generation to live in America, there was no additional support when it came to child rearing. When Mother Leeds discovered that she was pregnant for the 13th time, she screamed out in desperation, let this one be a devil. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't blame her. That's awful. I mean, I blame her now. <laughs> Stop it. Well, you know, it doesn't work out well. Now, Wouldn't I mean, you rather it be an angel so it could help? Yeah, I think it was one of those things where she was just like, what else could go wrong? Right. You know, all right, fine. Let this one just kill us all. I don't give a shit anymore. Yeah. And I also think that was probably something that she said in like her, like I said, in the monologue, in my mind, it's like in her husband's presence. So she's like, Mm -hmm. oh, fuck you. Fine. You know what? You're so excited about us having a bajillion kids. Maybe this one is going to like tear your shit up. But you know what, Holly? What? Do not call up what you cannot put down. Well, they do. Just so you know. (laughs) Now, anyone well-versed in the ways of, like, you know, Christian lore, I know these are Quakers, but still, it kind of falls in the same umbrella, will know that there is no way this is going to end well for Mother Leeds. It was a dark and stormy night when Mother Leeds went into labor with her 13th child. The midwife came, and so did some of Mother Leeds' friends from town. I guess they, she, like, shipped them in to help her out. Mm-hmm. The children made room, and the delivery went according to plan. The baby, a boy, was born a normal child, but quickly after birth, he began to change. Twisting and writhing, soon the baby was a full-sized creature with long, bent legs and hooved feet, the head of a goat or a horse in some recountings, depending on which one you like better, large, leathery bat wings, an elongated torso, short arms with large talons and a forked tail. He let out a long, shrill cry and then began tearing the family to shreds. The creature immediately killed his mother and the midwife and then decimated as many family members as he could before flying out the chimney into the night sky and taking to the woods. Mm, Independent fellow. He was indeed. Around the wreckage, hoof prints and talon scratches were discovered, but no trace of where the devil had gone. Oh, and this is like on the New Jersey website. Yep. Yes, it is. Mm Yeah, and apparently, like, after that, it's like, and then he lurks in the woods, and he might find you if you go out into the pines. Welcome to New Jersey. And welcome to the state of New Jersey. Maybe go the fuck home. We don't like you anyway. So, but Just kidding. Come visit us. JK, spend your money, and then, who's scary devil? Go away. Um, but this is a great story. Yeah. It has all the hallmarks of a legend in the making, so you can see why New Jerseyans are so proud of it. 
I mean, that we're all kind of weird and, and we like that. And the fact that not all other states have their own monster makes us feel like kind of special. Right. We are an elite crew in that way. I think we should like get together all the monsters from other states and form a band or a, oh, a crime really fighting fun. crew or something. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Wouldn't that be great? Yeah. It'd be like the new like monster squad. I would love that. Yeah. Uh, whatever that show is, I also trademark it. Yeah. <laughs> State-specific monster yeah. squad. State-specific <laughs> monster squad. <laughs> S-S-M-S. Yup. But, like, <laughs> Leslie, who could we put in this squad? Do you know of any other monsters that might want to join it? Oh. I uh, yeah. I don't know. You do? For sure. Maybe yeah. you could tell us about them and we could decide whether we accept them in our group or not. All right. Okay. So... I found, well, I know of, like, three really interesting ones. Okay. Um, two, I think, could definitely be in this, They're like, candidates? Squad. Yeah. Perfect. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. So, the first one, I think, would be Louisiana, the Grunch. I like his name already. Yes. So, Grunch Road is an old dirt road in eastern Louisiana that leads deep into the woods and eventually to a dead end. <gasps> no. No pun intended. <laughs> Just kidding. That was intended. Pun intended. During the early years of New Orleans history, there was a group of humans who lived in the woods out past Grunch Road. If you're just calling them humans, they were something strange. They were a strange mix (laughs) of albinos and dwarfs. Oh, no. This is terrible, by the way. This story is, like, horrible, and it makes me really sad who were forced to live away from society because people considered them the creation of devil himself. Oh, boy. Their seclusion to the woods caused the people to inbreed and combine their abnormalities, creating an inbred clan of albino dwarf people. Oh, my God. Over time and continued inbreeding led this clan to look somewhat inhuman. Grunch Road came to be considered nothing more than a freak show. And because humans are assholes, the people of Grunch Road became a sort of sideshow for teenagers and immature adults who would seek them out for a little bit of of a scare with their friends. You know New Jersey has something like this too, right? Yes. Okay. Mm -hmm. And the cooler teens would also go out there, but they would just like make out out in this area. Why would you be like, this is gross and weird? Well, because it was like a secluded area. So like if you didn't necessarily believe that there was things out there. You just have car sex. Yeah. So like later on in like the like mid-1900s, they were kind of like, oh, like, you know, whatever. That's just like a weird Mm -hmm. story. But like it's a secluded area. So let's make out. Until people started disappearing. Uh Uh-oh. So years later, sightings of a goat-like creature with scaly leather, dark gray skin, and sharp spines with large horns or quills running down the back. Quills? Yeah. It's like different. It's either horns or exactly. Okay. Were being reported to authorities. Reports would commonly include that the creature was three to four feet tall with glowing red eyes or green eyes and grotesque stench and seemed almost human-like. The fact that he's little, I think, is scarier. Yeah. And some, so some, he kind of looks like a little, a little bit more human with like some goat-esque features. Just a little goaty. But other ones, he kind of looks like, like a hyena, like the way that he's like on all fours. What is it called? The Grunch? The Grunch, yeah. So the Grunch has been compared to the Chupacabra. Yeah, Chupacabra. It's also a musical. 
The Grunch, a new children's musical. Oh, fun. Anyway. <laughs> uh, yes, it's a chupacabra. Chupacabra. So, in that when victims have been found, they are drained of all their blood through a single hole, and sometimes their organs have been removed. Gross. Ew, Those, I don't like him. Yeah, he's gross. He's so gross. Yeah. Those in the area were warned that if you ever... So, this is like the main thing, right? This is okay. how you could potentially get caught by one of these. All right. So those in the area will warn that if you ever find yourself on Grunch Road, which is a little like there isn't just a Grunch Road. It's kind of like it might be a random road. So you might not know like there's um, there's debate as to which road this is in the area. So if you find yourself on Grunch Road, don't get out of your car if you see a goat who looks injured. The stories say that the Grunch use goats to lure people out of their cars so that they can eat them and drain their blood. Ew. Yeah. Ew. So that would be uh, my first pick for I mean, the state. I'm going to have to think about him. Monster Squad. Yeah, he's gross. Yeah. But I guess he could be a powerful ally. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. He's like, he's really fucking scary. The Jersey Devil looks like a cartoon compared to this thing. Yeah. So this one I wouldn't necessarily say, but like maybe, I mean, this this next one could like help with the music mm-hmm. for the group, you know? Mm-hmm. So in Nebraska, they have a really cool urban legend. It's the Poisoned Girl at Centennial Hall. Oh. So in Valentine, Nebraska, Centennial Hall is the oldest standing building. Built in 1897, it was originally the Valentine Public High School and now serves as a museum. The museum is said to be haunted by a former student who fell victim to a fatal crime. In 1944, a girl who attended the high school played clarinet in the band. The story goes that she died after someone poisoned its reed. So when she began playing the instrument, the deadly poison took effect. Neither a motive nor a suspect has ever been documented. The cold case has led to reports of seeing the murdered girl's disgruntled ghost wandering the halls apparently seeking justice there's also said to be the sound of music coming from the school's old band room a place where there have not been any musical instruments for years oh boy it's a very footloose situation mm-hmm. many That's visitors oh yeah but similar <laughs> many visitors at the museum have also witnessed a rocking chair in the room that rocks back and forth all on its own mm and that they'll usually hear the music playing, too, when that's happening. That is Maybe. a good ghost story, though. Yeah. Uh, all right. She's invited. Okay. Yeah. I, like I mean, her. she's just, like, lonely. She's mad. She got poisoned. Hell, yeah. She's and her story is good and spooky. Yeah. That's, like, a scary stories to tell in the dark type story. Yeah. But that's all there is. That's, like, the in-depth. That's right. the longest no, version here. of that story. I'm here for it, though. <laughs> I think she could join Monster State-specific Monster Squad. Okay. Cool. Other the the Louisiana chupacabra is grossing me out a little bit. Yeah, and then this next one I feel like is just like she's like going to be the misunderstood kind of emo chick. Sure. Okay. All right. So in New Mexico, there's the La Mala Hora. Hmm. So New Mexico's creepiest urban legend is the La Mala Hora, which translates to the bad hour or sometimes the evil hour. Hmm. La Malahora is said to be a wicked spirit or an evil demon that wanders the lonely country roads after midnight and terrorizes those who travel alone. It usually lurks in the darkness at crossroads, waiting for an unweary traveler to cross its path. 
According to some, it is more feared than the devil. Ooh, yikes. It first appears as a large black lump constantly moving and changing shape. Oh, I don't like that. It can also change size rapidly, growing larger and smaller. They say it looks like a ghostly black shroud or a large black cotton ball. (laughs) I mean, that's that's a scary thought, but also like a big black cotton ball. I know. (laughs) Anyone who is unfortunate enough to set eyes on this demon runs the risk of being driven crazy. (laughs) It tries to hypnotize and paralyze anyone who happens to encounter it at night. When it attacks, it suddenly rushes towards the unweary, envelops them, and suffocates them. The following morning, the poor wretch is found dead at the side of the road. Yikes. At other times, it transforms into a wicked woman, a female personification of evil. She appears wearing black clothing. Her hair is long and unkempt. She is like a spirit or wind floating along without touching the ground with her feet. People in New Mexico say that she seldom appears in human form, but when she does, it is considered to be a death omen. Oh, no, like a banshee. If you encounter her at a crossroads, it usually means that you or somebody you know is going to die. Though New Mexicans don't like to speak about La Malahora, many of them have tales that would make the hairs on the back of your neck stand up. But there is one story that seems to circulate the most. A woman named Isabella received a call from her best friend saying that she was getting a divorce and was not doing well. Mm. Isabella, of course, wanted to comfort her friend, so she called her husband, who was away on business, to inform him that she was going to drive to Santa Fe for a couple of days to make sure that her friend was okay. As she made the long drive, the moon rose, and upon reaching a fork in the road, she took a left only to find a woman dressed in all black standing in the road. Isabella slammed on her brakes, only to discover the woman had disappeared. Terrified and trying to catch her breath, she looked to her left to find the woman now staring in the driver's side window with glowing red eyes and cracked skin. Cracked skin? She needs some validation. Sure does. Isabella floored the gas pedal, which is something I would do. Fuck yes. (laughs) And did not stop driving until she reached her friend's home. She ran inside and her friend did the best she could to comfort her, but told Isabella that what she saw was a terrible omen. Uh, Yeah. The following day, they decided to drive back to Isabella's home, but upon arriving, they found police cars in the driveway. It seemed that her husband had been mugged on his business trip and had been found dead at the very moment that La Malahora had appeared to Isabella on the road. Oh, shit. Yeah. It was like a banshee. Yeah. Oof. Spooky. So I feel like she could, like, come. Yeah, she can come too, for sure. Yeah. (laughs) Spooky cotton ball screaming and shit. Yeah, it's great. I love it. I think, because I'm picturing her just kind of floating around as, like, a black, like, mass. Like, Uh and then all of a sudden just, like, poofing into, like. A dementor. Yeah. I don't know. She's, she's, I can get down with that. She can join the state specific monster squad, <laughs> whatever we're calling yeah, it. I like it. The only one I'm, I'm putting a hard maybe on is that gross grunge guy. And mostly because he smells. I know, but he has like a really sad origin story. So like, I don't want to leave him out. Okay. That's fair. I feel like him and like the melon heads could be like, oh my God, the melon heads. Uh, yeah. They make me sad. 
I know. But they, I feel like maybe if these, if they turned into more creature ass, okay. then the melon heads could maybe take them on as like their pets, but treat them almost as equals. Like they just work okay. together. Okay. We could work out this society. Yeah. All right, Monster I think squad. they would understand them the best. Perhaps. <laughs> we got deep into these yeah. state monsters. I love it. Well, that was cool. Yeah. Um, we've done some other ones when we did urban legends, which I feel like we're also overdue for another urban legend episode soon. Those are really fun. Um, so if you actually, if you have an urban legend that you love or that you find is like little known and is specific to your childhood or something, uh, you can send it to us and yeah. we'll look it up for one of those episodes because those were really fun. Yeah. All right. So state specific monster squad, unite. <laughs> That's the sound they make. I like it. So. After the, back to the Jersey Devil, after the night of his, like, uh, birth and flight up the chimney, yeah, <laughs> there would be sightings of the creature periodically uh, all over, actually, the tri-state area. Like, mm-hmm. there's Pennsylvania season, New York season sometimes, and in my brain, that's the tri-state area. Some people think it's other states, but there you go. They would also uh, find, like, um, livestock dead in the road or eviscerated alongside hoof prints, either in the dirt or the fresh snow surrounding the bodies and so they were they would attribute that to the Jersey Devil as well because all monsters kill livestock for one reason or the other. Um they get hungry. They do. But the, they don't eat it. They just like kill them and leave them there. Mm, well probably because they know that we're like infecting it with shit that we shouldn't be eating either. Maybe. <laughs> or they're just trying to send us a message. Too don't come out there. into my woods. My my <laughs> mine's pr- all about nutrition. <laughs> I know. Mine's like the prickle forest is dangerous. Don't yeah. come out there. So um, it was said that if you saw the New Jersey Devil, he would kill you. So, like, he doesn't like people seeing what became of him, basically. Uh, Children are warned not to go out into the pines, and outsiders are encouraged to stay away because there's a monster on the loose out there. Now, over the years, the story got a couple makeovers. In one version, Mother Leeds is a witch, and in another version, the baby's father is the devil himself. Mm. And this is a very Salem witch hysteria version of that story. It fits right in with American history. Um, so I can see how it got that way. That makes sense to me. Uh, there are some versions of the story that also contain uh, like an attempted exorcism. Like a priest comes out to the lead's house and tries to like exorcise this demon. Yeah, I've heard of that one. It doesn't work. Yeah. Another story, there's a like another version of the story altogether that doesn't even involve mother leads, which is weird because I've never heard another version. But there are two. Another version tells of a young girl from Leeds Point who had fallen in love with a British soldier. The British had come to the region because of the iron furnaces at Batstow, which is where we were going to go to talk about this originally and where we got lost in the woods. Mm. Um, The iron furnaces were supplying the privateers, which are pirates for hire, basically. Um, In 1778, the British engaged the Americans at the Battle of Chestnut Neck. The townsfolk opposed the match of this girl and, a, and the British person, calling her um, a, like a traitor for that. They said this was treason. They cursed the girl, and according to the legend, when she later gave birth to a child, it became known as the Leeds Devil. So this story is not common. Not a lot of people have heard it. But it has extremely strong Pine Barrens roots. Mm. Like, there's a lot of nuggets of truth in this story, which I'll get to in a few minutes, but you'll see. So another variation on the story says that a young woman who encounters a passing gypsy begging for food 
Yes, I know the gypsy is an awful word, but this is me repeating a historical tale and not using it in earnest. And the girl was frightened, and so she refused the gypsy woman, and so the gypsy woman cursed her. Years later, in 1850, um, with the curse long forgotten, so I guess this was before 1850, the girl gave birth to her first child, a boy, and he became a devil and fled into the woods. This one's pretty weak, but it's out there, so why not include it? It's just people like to blame things, everything on gypsies for a while. Right. Which is, again, terrible. Don't call them gypsies. There are also uh, travelers, I think, for the most part. There are, like, some of them are Romani people. There's all different kinds of specific terms for the people that might be under the gypsy umbrella. Mm -hmm. Um, But we don't use gypsy. It's not nice. No good. So there are also versions of the story that evolved later on where the devil, and this is where I think a good movie could be made, where the devil is actually a child with deformities because, I mean, that's something that people would have said back then. And that the Leeds family, who were like a kind of high-profile family, kept this child in their attic to hide their shame. So it was like their secret deformed child. Right. Then eventually, because the kid is uh, also has like intellectual disabilities and because it's locked in an attic, it's pretty mad about everything. Mm-hmm. Eventually, it, it escapes the house through the chimney um, and the truth is revealed to like the town they live in. But by then, the child is completely feral and full of rage, having been held captive for years, and he takes to the woods and murders anyone who crosses his path. That's the movie. Yeah, for sure. Right? Mm-hmm. Totally. Yeah. Trademark. Yeah. <laughs> um, but since its inception, there have been many sightings and occurrences involving the Jersey Devil. So it didn't just stop at this story. People since then have like talked about seeing it all the time. According to legend, while visiting the Hanover Mill Works, to inspect his cannonballs being forged. Oh, that sounds sexy. I know. Forge my cannonballs. <laughs> Commodore Stephen Decatur, which there's lots of Decaturs down here in Cape May, yeah. sighted a flying creature and fired a cannonball directly upon it, but it did nothing to it. Like, the thing got hit by a cannonball and didn't die. Because it's from the Pine Barrens and fire is power. Exactly. It's like, yeah. from the pines! <laughs> <laughs> I don't care! <laughs> But this is also very similar to the New England folktale of Old Meg, the witch who turns into a crow, yeah. and they shoot it, and the, it doesn't kill it. And then later, like, I don't know, they find the bullet or something. But, like, the, this is a very common folklore device mm-hmm. where, like, weapons don't kill the creature. So, okay, I see that. Uh, there's also um record of Joseph Bonaparte, who is Napoleon's older brother and lived in Bordentown. So I've been to his house. Um, Also, claim. Like, you know him very well. I do. Actually, um, the Bonaparte Estate is something I will talk about. That is my hometown haunt. Um, there's, like, tunnels under it and stuff, and it has so many ghost stories. Um, um, but I was hoping we would get, like, I guess maybe we are high profile enough now that I could see if we could, like, go there. Cool. Bordentown. I want to go to the Bonaparte Estate. Hook me up. Anyway. Joseph Bonaparte also claimed to have seen the Jersey Devil while hunting on his Bordentown estate in 1820. The fact that I am well acquainted with, as again, I grew up within walking distance of it. Bordentown is not really that woodsy, though. I mean, I guess it was at one point. It's just not really Pine Barrens. It's like forest. Yeah. So it's kind of weird association for me, but I guess I'll take it and run with it, whatever. Mm-hmm. During the 1840s, the Jersey Devil was blamed for a lot of livestock killing. That's where this kind of comes into play, where people, like, see weird tracks and have dead livestock. And they're like, well, must be the Jersey Devil. Then they would also say they heard, uh, like, screams in the night. 
Okay. Which really could be any kind of animal, but still. Yeah. In Greenwich, during December of 1925, a local farmer shot an unidentified animal and attempted, this animal was like trying to steal his chickens and he shot at it, killed it, went out and looked at it and couldn't tell what it was. It was like just gnarly looking. And so he, of course, took a lot of pictures of its dead body. And afterwards, he claims that nobody else could identify it either. And yes, this is how chupacabras are made. <laughs> My guess is that this thing was a bear with mange. But he said mm -hmm. it looked, the, the descriptions of this matched some of the Jersey Devil stuff. So he was like, I shot the Jersey Devil. Mm. But then other people saw it, so I guess he didn't shoot it. Good job there, Glenn. I know, right? <laughs> Good job, dude. On July 27th, 1937, an unknown animal, quote, with red eyes, because in some versions of this story, the Jersey Devil also has glowing red eyes, mm -hmm. uh, was seen by residents of Downingtown, Pennsylvania, and they compared it to the Jersey Devil. They were like, oh, we saw this weird thing with red eyes. It's probably the Jersey Devil. <laughs> so... Um, in 1951, a group of boys in Gibbstown, New Jersey, claimed to have seen a monster that looked like the Jersey Devil's description. And so then claims matching the description of it of like a dead animal were also made after that. They're like, mm -hmm. we saw it. And then people are like, we saw it dead. Mm -hmm. So there's all kinds of stuff like that that happen. Um, during the 60s, tracks and noises were heard near May's Landing. So coming up closer to us. During the same year, merchants around Camden offered a $10,000 reward for the capture of the Jersey Devil, and they even offered to build a private zoo to put it in if it was captured, though I'm not sure why they wanted to keep it. Why not? Because it's apparently pretty awful. Right. But that doesn't stop people. No, you're right. It doesn't. It'd been, that, that could be something we add into the movie. True, it's in a cage or something. So sad. Yeah, the Philly well, that, Zoo that, also offered yeah, they, to like, take it. Catch them mm -hmm. and they throw them in a zoo. Oh shit! Yeah, this like is freak a... show style, and then he escapes again. Yeah, or falls in love with a carnival girl. I like where this is going. <laughs> it's also the girl who was poisoned by her musical instrument. Yes. <gasps> <laughs> and this is how history is made. That's yeah, guys. Trademark. Anyway. Agamemnon. Agamemnon. And the clarinet girl. I mean, that's a beautiful fable for the ages. Beautiful. I know. But no year saw more of the Jersey Devil than 1909. During the week of January 16th through 23rd of 1909, newspapers published hundreds of claims that they, people had encounters with the Jersey Devil from all over South Jersey and Philadelphia. Among these alleged encounters, were claims that the creature attacked a trolley car in Haddon Heights and a social club in Camden. Police in Camden and Bristol, Pennsylvania, supposedly fired on it to no effect. Again, weapons do not affect it. Other reports initially concerned unidentified footprints in the snow, so this fits canon of this story, but soon sightings of creatures resembling the Jersey Devil were being reported all over South Jersey and as far away as Delaware and Western Maryland. The widespread newspaper coverage created such intense fear throughout the entire Delaware Valley that a number of schools canceled classes and had um, people who worked in local businesses were encouraged to stay home. That's hilarious. Yeah, so it was like Jersey Devil hysteria happened. Okay. Vigilante groups and groups of hunters roamed the Pine Barrens and countrysides with, like, shotguns in search of the devil. And this is, like, um, Victorian times. 1909. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> 
During this period, the Philadelphia Zoo also posted a $10,000 reward for the creature's capture. Okay. The Philly Zoo is old as hell. The offer prompted a variety of hoaxes, though, of course, including someone who brought them a kangaroo that was equipped with artificial claws and fake bat wings. They had a kangaroo in the States. I mean, just... Yeah. It's also Victorian times. People had weird exotic pets. That's true. I'm not super surprised about that. Yeah, that's true. They had their boy bring it over. Boy, bring me a kangaroo. (laughs) I fancy a kangaroo. Also, Jersey had um, a lot of circus people. We had like ringlings had locations all over here. Uh, So kangaroos might have been running around. Who knows? Who knows? Yeah. Eventually, this particular rash of devil mania was attributed to a Philadelphia Inquirer reporter by the name of Norman Jeffries. Norman had created the original story um, about the devil being on a tear in South Jersey. This first article in the Inquirer about the mysterious events appeared on the front page on January 21st, 1909, with the headline, What is it? Visits all South Jersey. Like the what is it is hyphenated. And a photograph of actual hoof prints of the strange creature were said to be included. But um, the photograph looks like a line of horseshoes laid out in the snow. I'll put it in the photo suite. It's very funny. It's just clearly like horseshoes. Yeah. But the public loved it. And Norman Jeffries was off and running. And he wrote like uh, all the subsequent Inquirer articles that caused this hysteria. They're all this guy, Norman Jeffries, wrote them all. Of course. So um, only on his deathbed was it revealed that he made the whole thing up to sell newspapers. My God. Funniest man alive. Dead. He's <laughs> not alive, yeah. man. He created like a week and a half of widespread monster hysteria. And I bet he was like, fuck, I really did it. <laughs> That's hilarious. Isn't that funny? Okay. I liked that one. But while it, it is always a vast and imaginative exaggeration, folklore stories exist for a reason. And if you dig hard enough, a kernel of truth will reveal itself. So what's the truth here? Is there actually a terrifying creature living in the Pine Barrens? Uh, Well, we've established that there are a lot of terrifying things living in the pines, but none of them are an enormous bloodthirsty kangaroo bat. The truth of the legend can be found in the family it stems from and the culture that surrounded them. I have said many times that the pines are, quote, largely uninhabited, but that doesn't mean that they are completely uninhabited. People do live there, but you probably don't see them much. The people of the Pines are an off-the-grid style culture, and we in New Jersey call them Pineys, even though it isn't very nice. Most of the families that call the Pine Barrens their home are descended from families created when colonists and British soldiers fell in love during the Revolutionary War. It wasn't okay on either side of the fence to fraternize with the enemy, and so rather than risk their child and their own well-being, they would hide deep in the inhospitable woods and create a life there. Isn't that interesting? That's how people started running away into the pines. Now, as time marched forward, the Pine Barrens began collecting people who had nowhere else to go or needed to hide from society, be they fugitives, poachers, moonshiners, runaway slaves, deserting soldiers, or like robber pirate type people also hid in the Pine Barrens. Hmm. Basically, if you needed to hide, the pines could hide you. Over the years, this band of hidden people formed their own culture, complete with music, hobbies, and their own regional dialect. But New Jersey is awfully proud of all of its musical exports, I would say. Wouldn't you, Leslie? I would, yeah. Nobody loves a bar anthem more than us. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
Now, before I get to some terrible, horrible, no good, very bad things that we unleashed, maybe you can tell us a little bit about New Jersey's musical side. Oh, I sure can. I would love that. All right. So, Holly, I'm going to sing a couple songs. Oh, I'm, I've never been more excited. I love when we have songs. <laughs> uh, I I expect, okay. since you are a homegrown New Jerseyan, I am. that you will know all of these. What if I don't? There's no way. I'll you just have to bury know myself in my piney backyard and hide. All right, Holly. So this is the first song. Okay, bring it. All right. Well, now everything dies, baby. That's a fact. Maybe everything that dies someday comes back. Put your makeup on, fix your hair up pretty, and meet me tonight in Atlantic City. Oh boy, I don't know that song. You don't know that song? No. Oh my gosh. Okay, so it's by the, it's Atlantic City, yeah, by yeah. the band, All right? but Bruce Springsteen does the cover. Well, you were doing the Springsteen voice, so I And it's very similar. Know. The band does it the same way. Okay. All right. So this is, the, we're, we're doing a version of Jersey Name That Tune right now, Yeah, basically. I didn't introduce it as well as I could have. It's okay. I mean, people know. <laughs> they do. They know. They're like, Leslie's going to give us the goods. <laughs> All right, but then, okay, you have to know this one. I had to know the other one, too, and I totally didn't. <laughs> yeah, but this one... This one's your unofficial anthem of New Jersey. Oh, no. Okay. So, right. like, when you're ready, just, like, sing with me. Okay. All right. I'm from New Jersey, and I'm proud about it. I love the Garden State. What the hell is this? I'm from New Jersey, and I brag about it. I think it's simply great. All of the other states throughout the nation, they mean the world to some. But I'll take New Jersey because New Jersey is like no other. I'm glad that's where I'm from. What just happened? <laughs> that's like an older song that was like the unofficial anthem. And it's called, I'm from New Jersey. Is it now? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Oh boy, that is hilarious! <laughs> Didn't I'm I'm not doing good. I'm over two. Man, Holly, I like know. what are they teaching you in school? Uh, I would assume that would have been like, like your national anthem in school, like at sporting events. No, at sporting <laughs> events, we're like, baby, we were born to run. <laughs> no, 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 New Jersey one. <laughs> I'm going back in time. All right, man, take me back. Let's do another one. All right. I'm going to sing the whole one of this, okay? Oh, man. And okay. you, whenever you want to... When I'm feeling... When you're feeling it. I know this one. Okay. Okay. There, at some point, I'm going to call everybody in. Oh, God. <laughs> All right, everybody. You look so pretty when we met in Ocean City, like someone oh so easy to adore. I sang this little ditty on our way through Ocean City, heading south along the Jersey Shore. Oh, boy. On the way to Cape May. Oh, no. I, I fell in love with you. Oh, I hate it. On the way to Cape May. Mm -hmm. I saw my dreams come true. I was taken by your smile. As we drifted by Seattle. Uh, we're in Seattle now, basically. <laughs> my heart was gone. When we reached Avalon. <laughs> On the way to Cape May, Stone Harbor skies were blue. We were naming the day when Wildwood came in view. Hitting Wildwood we're now. Almost there. All right. If, if you're you going to be my spouse, 
We better head to that courthouse on the way to Cape May. On the way to Cape May. Everybody. Oh, nobody. (laughs) I like that they mentioned courthouse. But it it makes me mad because they passed courthouse to go to Wildwood. So then they were like, but let's head back north to go to courthouse to get married. And then we'll go down to Cape May. Yeah. But courthouse is also like I, I would never think like I'm gonna talk about vacation towns. I think it was just better clever. put in Cape May courthouse. <laughs> I think it was clever that they did. They it. have a police station. Or the guy was just talking about a courthouse yeah. in general, and then was like, "Oh shit, there's a Cape May courthouse." Oh yeah, we should, <laughs> we should mention that. <laughs> just as fun as Wildwood or Sea Isle, Cape so, May courthouse. <laughs> so the fun thing about that song is that if you ever come to Cape May. You'll hear it until your eyes bleed. Yeah. Um, and if you take a trolley tour, sometimes the driver or the tour guide will like start singing the song. And what's awesome is sometimes all the guests on the trolley will know the song by heart yeah. and they'll just bust into song. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And now you guys know the song. Yeah. So you can join them. Yeah. They're definitely not all over 700 years old either. Yeah. I mean, over 75, yeah. but. Oh, boy, you guys. Well, that was some fun Jersey music. Yeah, I mean, I figured everyone assumed I was going to do Bon Jovi. I know. I was waiting for, like, down the shore, everything's all right. Like, I was like, oh, it's going to be, like, Bruce and Bon Jovi. But no, it was... It was the weirdest shit I've ever heard. Good job. Yeah, I was trying to stay away from down the shore this week, so... We're not... mm -mm, I'm not talking about that. Uh, We should... It should be mentioned that it was in now two songs that you brought up. I know. I know. Anyway. All right. That was uh, that was the music. I am really surprised though that you didn't know your national, your your unofficial <laughs> state anthem. I didn't. Ridiculous. You know what though? I'm grateful that I know it now. So I'm thank from you. New Jersey, and I'm proud about it. <laughs> I love the Garden State. <laughs> I'm here for it. Okay, that was a fun little musical interlude. It's gonna get real dark now. So okay, glad that we had that time. So back in the pines. Because the Pine Barrens were not rife with opportunities to make money or farm food, the people of the Pine Barrens got by however they could. A lot of them farmed blueberries, because like I said, pretty much you only have blueberries, or cranberries. Just imagine the husband being like, what's for dinner tonight, honey? And she'd be like, blueberry pie. And he's like, again. (laughs) More, they all have blue mouths, like rings around yeah. their mouth that's just Great. blue. It's that blueberry cobbler. Fuck. Like, you eat what you get. <laughs> it could be worse. It could be poison berry yeah. cobbler. Maybe <laughs> that's what you get tomorrow. Mrs. Leeds, like, it's breast milk or blueberries. <laughs> <Your choice. laughs> Sometimes the cobbler has both. Yeah. <laughs> I told you guys this, we were wild okay. this week. All right. It's super hot in the studio, too. Yes. It's like a thousand degrees for no reason. I don't know. Hmm. Some people of the fines would also collect and sell um, sphagnum moss or pine cones, too, like on the side of the road. This is like pretty moss, I guess. They would also hunt or fish um, and live off the land. Some of them would like trap and kill muskrats and try and sell them for fur. Just like real woodsy type exploits. I like it. Yeah. And for the very obvious reasons um, that I mentioned earlier, they did keep to themselves. Remember, this is a culture of people who went to this place to hide. Mm -hmm. 
The culture is very similar, as I mentioned, to what you might find off the grid in almost any American town. Not a lot of formal education or middle class manners are about, but um, that's not a judgment. It's just a fact. Um, They lived as they lived and they're fine. This wasn't an indication of their intelligence either. um, But obviously, because America cannot ever have nice things, not everyone saw it this way. Two separate eugenics studies were done on the people of the Pine Barrens in the early 20th century, which depicted them as congenital idiots and criminals. Most notably, the research performed on the Kalakak family, this is a pseudonym, by a man named Henry H. Goddard and a woman named Elizabeth Kite. Goddard. Um, Yeah, we've talked about Henry Goddard before, and we're going to devote a whole episode to him because I read so much on him this week. Henry Goddard is the father of eugenics. He operated out of Vineland, New Jersey. And um, if you don't know what eugenics are, um, I'm going to get there in a second, but they're basically like weeding out entire Mm -hmm. races of people, much like the Nazis wanted to do. Uh, So anyway, the book The Kellecock Family, a study in the heredity of (laughs) feeble-mindedness, was a book published in 1912 by the American psychologist and eugenicist Henry Goddard, as I mentioned earlier. And it was seen to, he's seen to many as the father of modern eugenics and Hitler's inspiration, because yes, America did that too. Mm-hmm. The name Kalakak is a pseudonym used as a family name throughout the book. Um, and it's actually, not all the people in it are related. He, used, he says they're one big family. They are not. It's just a different Pineland families okay. that he just assumes are all related untrue. The name um, Goddard made from the Greek words kalos, meaning good, and kakos, meaning bad. So he saw them as the combination of a line of like degenerate feeble-mindedness and then another line of like just average human. Mm -hmm. So basically his thought was, I'm going to figure out how to totally get rid of the feeble-minded part of this. Supposedly, an extended case study of Goddard's for the, quote, inheritance of feeble-mindedness, a general category referring to a variety of mental disabilities, including any kind of intellectual disability, any kind of learning disability, and any kind of mental illness. So it's a huge umbrella. The book is noted for its definite inaccuracies that render all the conclusions he he makes invalid. So this is like a bunch of bullshit, basically. Goddard believed that a variety of mental traits were hereditary and that society should limit reproduction by people possessing these traits. So basically, he wanted to sterilize all these people. He based this on a study that he did that included a bunch of Pineland families who he believed were either inbred to the point of intellectual disability or had included one mentally deficient parent and one of sound mind who had thus created a mentally deficient child. His solution is that we should go ahead and sterilize all of the people of the pines that he dubbed morons. Because yes, the word moron was also created in New Jersey. Mm. We do like it a lot. We are ever so proud. And then the mentally deficient line would supposedly die off. There's just about 500 million problems with this, though. First of all, again, these people were not all related. You can't make a family study when they're not all family. Second of all, they had a lot of them had like very explainable problems. And and third, like eugenics are horrible. No one should ever do that. Yeah. But I'm ashamed to say that New Jersey was totally on board for this, though. The rest of the state was like, yeah, let's get rid of all of the piney people. Let's sterilize them all and make sure they don't reproduce anymore. Because there was this horrible um, stigma where people thought that they were these like 
kind of like the monster in New Orleans that you're mentioning. They were these like monstrous people. Right. They were not. They are not. I mean, there are still people that are on the fringe of this culture. They don't live out totally off the grid, but it does exist. And New Jersey actually passed its own compulsory sterilization law for the so-called feeble-minded in 1911. Mm. Um, Because of this, the state Supreme Court became one of the first to strike it down as unconstitutional in 1913. So we only had this law for two years. And according to all formal reporting, no procedures actually ever took place. But that's not true. One only has to dig a teaspoon into the history of New Jersey's mental health care to find out that many women who spent time in hospitals for the, quote, insane or asylums were involuntarily sterilized. We just don't talk about it. And in any kind of documenting on their cases, it's listed as something necessary or compassionate. So it doesn't look like a forced procedure, but it was. And I'm not even going to get into how many indigenous women went through something similar. Mm-hmm. So the people of the Pines had it pretty tough. And a monster that killed any outsider who saw it was a pretty attractive concept to the people who lived there. And I think we can all see why. They didn't want people coming in. They never did good things when they did. Pineys often created colorful um, tales also of how terrible the Pine Barrens were themselves or how violent they actually were as a society in order to discourage outsiders and law enforcement from, oh, I don't know, entering their homes and sterilizing their women. I don't know. It makes sense to me, though. So basically, they made up a lot of stories where they're like, okay, well, it's really awful here and we kill everybody and eat them. So don't come here. Yeah, I like it. Yeah, it's good. But where does the Leeds family come in, right? Well, the first thing you have to know about the Leeds family is that they weren't very popular. Hmm. Not super well-liked. So starting in the 17th century, English Quakers established settlements in southern New Jersey, uh, the region which is the, where the Pine Barrens are located. Daniel Leeds was one such Quaker and a prominent person of pre-revolution colonial southern New Jersey. He was a big-time guy. Daniel was a publisher, and um, in 1687, he started publishing almanacs, which might seem pretty benign and uninteresting to you and I, like a farmer's almanac, like, okay, that's not a big deal. But to the 1687 New Jersey Quakers, it was just about the most scandalous thing they had ever seen. Right. You see, the almanacs Daniel wrote and published contained, please prepare yourself. Okay. Astrological symbols and writings. <gasps> I know. I know. Blasphemy. Take a breath for a minute. Yeah. I, I, I can't. It's hard to. I know. Clutch your pearls. Daniel's Quaker pals did not like this one bit and deemed the astrology in these al- almanacs to be too pagan or blasphemous, as Leslie so accurately yes. gathered. And the almanacs were censored and then destroyed by the local Quaker community. So they were like, no, Zodiac, burn them. Yeah. Yeah. Fuck that shit. Exactly. So Daniel is already off to a pretty satanic panic start. After this, became he became ostracized by his Quaker congregation. So they're Aww. like, stay the fuck away from that guy. He's like probably in line with the devil. Mm-hmm. Right, of course. But he uh, didn't let that stop him. Most people who are like shunned by their religion or ostracized kind of wander away with their tail between their legs. But Daniel Leeds did not do that. He fucking doubled down. Okay. 
In response to and in spite of the censorship, Daniel Leeds continued to publish even wilder astrological Christian writings and became increasingly fascinated with Christian occultism, Christian mysticism, cosmology, demonology, and any kind of magic he could get his hands on. There's always one in the group. I know. (laughs) So he was like, you don't like that? I'm going to get as much as possible. Yes. Mm -hmm. I like him. I like him too. In the 1690s, after his almanacs and writing were further censored as blasphemous or heretical by the Philadelphia Quaker meeting, (laughs) Daniel Daniel Leeds just kept leaning into this dispute with the Quakers. He publicly converted to Anglicanism and published, now now he's publishing anti-Quaker literature. Yes. So it wasn't just something the Quakers didn't like. It was that the Quakers themselves were bad. And he was calling them um, anti-monarchists. So at the time, we're still pretty tied into the British throne. This is right. the 1600s. And you were loyal to the crown. Mm-hmm. So he's saying, oh, no, the Quakers are not. None of them are loyal to the king. Mm. Right. So the Quakers were like, this is bad. They did not care for that. Mm-hmm. I can just see him being like, I eat Quakers for breakfast. And it's just him eating oatmeal. Like Quaker oats. Yeah. <laughs> He's like, hate eating oatmeal. Yeah, yeah definitely. <laughs> Throwing sugar in it. <laughs> Zodiacs. <laughs> so in the ensuing dispute between Daniel Leeds and the Southern New Jersey Quakers over this insane accusation, Daniel Leeds was endorsed by the universally hated British royal governor of New Jersey, Lord Cornbury, who sounds like a silent movie villain, yes. but was actually a very fascinating transgender aristocrat. Oh, yeah. Wonderful. Mm-hmm. Being trans was not uh, easy back then. So a lot of people just called him a cross-dresser, which is a term most people do not care for, but that's what it says in the history books. Okay. Um. So today we would have called her Lady Cornbury. And that sounds a lot less ominous. Hmm. Lady Cornbury, might we have tea and talk about our horoscopes? <laughs> for sure, we should. But Lord Cornbury, as it were, was despised among the Quaker communities, and so Daniel's association with him was not taken kindly. They considered Daniel Leeds a traitor for aiding the crown and rejecting Quaker beliefs. The Quaker Burlington meeting of southern New Jersey subsequently dismissed Daniel Leeds as being evil. Mm-hmm. But he, like, had to see that coming, right? I feel like he had to. But I think he keeps being like, I'm going to double down. And then he's surprised when it doesn't go well. Right. I don't know. He's like, wait, what do you mean? You, like, don't accept me? Evil? This was, we're having fun. Come on, guys. This is a good time. Come on. (laughs) Don't worry. He keeps going. Look at this. This is how we get Christmas. (laughs) True. There you go. (laughs) During 1716, Daniel Leeds' son, Titan Leeds, inherited, I know, good name, right? He inherited his father's almanac business which he continued in his father's spirit to defiantly use uh, um, with, for astrological content. Oh. And eventually it got so popular, it competed with Benjamin Franklin's popular Poor Richard's Almanac. Ooh. So now we got Benny Franklin in there. Oh, boy. Right. So the competition between Titan and Benjamin Franklin intensified in 1733 when Benjamin Franklin satirically used astrology in his almanac to predict the death of Titan Leeds in October of that same year. So he was like, the stars tell me that you're going to die. But then, Mm -hmm. 
Oh, my goodness. So though Benjamin Franklin's prediction was supposed to be a super funny joke, ha ha ha, or a cheap ploy to boast almanac sales, Titan Leeds did not think it was particularly funny. And so in response, he published his own admonition of Benjamin Franklin, saying he was a fool and a liar. Mm-hmm. So they're just printing these things in like their books. <laughs> That's really funny. I know. I love this. So then Benjamin Franklin had to respond again, and he published his response, wherein he mocked Titan Leeds's outrage in a real great joke and suggested that, in fact, Titan Leeds had already died in accordance with his earlier prediction and was writing his almanacs from beyond the grave as a ghost. Funny, right? Yeah. (laughs) Benjamin Franklin, though, continued jokingly referring to Titan Leeds as a ghost, even after Titan Leeds actually was a ghost. Oh, no. Which is less funny um, because he died in 1738. Daniel Leeds's blasphemous and occultist reputation and his pro-monarchy stance in what was becoming an anti-monarchy United States. We were like, we're probably going to have a revolutionary war. We're thinking about it. Mm. I don't like your ideals. Get out of here. This combined with Benjamin Franklin's later depiction of Titan Leeds as like an evil ghost may have originated or contributed to the local folk legend of the so-called Leeds Devil. Because until 1910, we didn't call this monster the Jersey Devil. We only called it the Leeds Devil. Uh-huh. And that um, this this devil was like lurking in the Pine Barrens, right? So that's probably where the Leeds family got linked into the Jersey Devil folklore. Okay. During 1728, in keeping with their salty family spirit, Titan Leeds began to include, so this is back before he died, he did this, he began to include the Leeds family crest on the masthead of his almanac. So that's on the front of his almanac. But the Leeds family crest depicts a wyvern, which is a bat-winged, dragon-like, legendary creature that stands upright on two clawed feet. Oh. Mm -hmm. So... The wyvern on the Leeds family crest and all the almanacs looks a lot like the Jersey Devil. Yeah. Another way the Leeds are tied into the imagery that we now know as the Jersey Devil. The inclusion of this family crest on the almanacs um, may have contributed to the Leeds family's poor reputation among locals and inter- and possibly influenced the description of the Leeds devil. So they like they see the association with the Leeds on these almanacs, which are full of evil, and they see the creature on it. I mean, everybody can put the puzzle together, right? So the appearance of the crest wyvern and the increasing animosity among local South Jersey residents towards royalty, aristocracy, and nobility um, may have also helped facilitate this, though, because that that dragon thing that, that that's on their crest is also a symbol of, like, royalty and aristocracy. Mm-hmm. So that's another level of association they have with the Leedses, the locals, who are like, oh, you're part of this evil machine that we don't like. Uh, again, I said they're, they're very unpopular, <laughs> which led them to be called devils or monsters. So there you have it. Much also like the Mother Leeds myth of the Jersey Devil fame, uh, Daniel Leeds' third wife had given birth to nine children, a large number of children even for that time. Daniel Leeds' second wife and first daughter had also both died during childbirth. Just a thing. As a royal surveyor with strong allegiance to the British crown, Leeds had also surveyed and acquired land in the Egg Harbor area, which was in the Pine Barrens. 
the land was inherited by Titan and the family is now, that's now Leeds Point. So that's how we get the Jersey Devil in the Pines. Mother Leeds has been also identified, not, not necessarily as just Daniel's wife, but it also could have been a woman named Deborah Leeds. Still the Leeds family, just not the same branch. And she was Japheth Leeds's wife. And she actually did have 12 children. And they were all listed in a will he wrote in 1736. So this lines up with the year entirely. Deborah and Japheth Leeds also lived in Leeds Point. Again, this all adds up. So whatever their 13th child myth was, it appears that Deborah Leeds died in the course of like, if they had a 13th. So that all fits together. So I think a lot of this was just married into one story. That makes sense. Right. So take one very unpopular Quaker, mix in his longstanding feud with the church and Benjamin Franklin, then add a dash of a community who really needed a vicious winged gatekeeper, and you get one Jersey Devil. Agamemnon, the Jersey Devil. Devil worth dying for. Yeah. So what is the creature that people claim to have seen? That's the last thing we're going to talk about here because there are a lot of quote-unquote sightings. Well, Jeff Brunner of the Humane Society of New Jersey thinks it could have been a sandhill crane on the basis um, of what it looks like. So here's the thing. The sandhill crane is also what most people think is the Mothman. It is a creepy-looking bird, and Mm -hmm. if you see it at night, it's going to scare the shit out of you. The Jersey Devil has never technically been photographed. There's no bones. There's no hard evidence. And there's no, like, concrete origin story for it um, that doesn't require you believe in magic, basically. So we can't really tell you. But um, sandhill cranes, first of all, they're a very tall bird. Their body is, like, big and puffy and gray, but their feathers are usually, like, kind of muddy and stained because they're migratory birds. So they'll look like a brownish, grayish, earthy color. It's it's big bird, 10 pounds. So they're tall, like they're human height too. And they have red foreheads, white cheeks, and long, dark pointed bills. So in the dark, that is a scary looking face looking at you. And they're, right. they're you know, animals. So their eyes kind of reflect in the dark. When they're flying, their long, dark legs also trail behind them. And their necks stay straight up. So this kind of has that image of like the the bat wing dragony thing with the legs trailing behind it. You can see how it doesn't really look like a bird in most people's brains. And they explain the shriek because these cranes frequently when they call, they give a loud trumpeting call that sounds like a rolled r. So like oh, yeah, so they have a very distinct throaty loud Cry. So if you saw one of these and they screamed at you, you could easily be like, oh no, monster. Right. It makes sense. And mated pairs of sandhill cranes will engage in unison calling, which means they'll stand almost on top of each other, looking like one big giant monster, and then synchronize that shriek together. As they're just like mating? No. This is just something they do for fun like before <laughs> mating or something this isn't while they're mating this is like their hobby i guess oh but if you were like their date yeah <laughs> ah! yeah 
<laughs> Great. How romantic. Oh no, I'm sorry. They just stand there and go. Rah! Yeah. Ooh. That's, that's nice. nice. So imagine. I am. Just imagine. Yeah. <laughs> you're walking through like the pines. It's scary. You're by a body of water and you see the two of them together, but they look like one thing because they're like on basically on top of each other. They're screaming. <laughs> And when they fly away, their tiny legs trail behind them. Ew. That's terrifying. It's a monster. Yeah. So it makes sense that that might be what people saw. And and their their large wingspan, which is about a five to six foot wingspan, so huge when they open their wings, makes them birds that soar. So they just like glide. Right. They're not flappy flappy. They're gliding. Which also leads to this, like, illusion that they're some kind of otherworldly being. Huh, so we don't want to run into one of those. There's also a funny story where a guy named Tom Brown, who is like an author and outdoorsman, um, would spend extended amounts of time living in the pines and, like, camping out to study animals in the wilderness there. And he recounts a couple occasions when hikers found him and his whole body was covered in mud because he was trying to repel mosquitoes. And they were like, ah, Jersey Devil! And, like, ran away. So it could also be Tom Brown Jr. Okay. I don't know if he screams like Sandhill Cranes, but you know what? Who's to say? Just this one guy. <laughs> Just, it's been that one guy the whole time. And that is the history of our friend the Jersey Devil. Wow. Yeah, so we wanted to keep people out of the pines and also... That Quaker. Mm-hmm. He was a devil. What a good story. I know. It's a feud with Benjamin Franklin. Did anyone see that coming? Because when I started <laughs> researching it, I was like, wait a minute. This is nuts. So funny. I know. It's a, it's a very funny one. So. I, I did. Some of that story is familiar. Okay. But did you just learn about that for while you were doing this research or had you known about I it? I knew about it. So maybe we had talked about it before. We definitely did. Because I knew I the the almanacs were familiar yeah. to me, that that tale, which is a great marketing ploy because it's like gossip magazines. For so sure. You had to buy both. Yeah. To know what was going and, on. And every issue of it. Everything yeah. that came out, you had to buy it because you wanted to know what they were going to say next. Yeah. They're like, oh, damn. Did you see what Ben said? Benny Franklin was like, you did. And then Titan was like, you did. He's like, you a fool. Yeah. Well, it was the most petty argument in the world. But it gave us a great story in the end. It did. People were like, oh, they must be actual Satan monsters. Yeah. Yeah. Which I totally get. Yeah. <laughs> anyway. Toast? Toast. Yeah. So, um, oh, boy. I guess the Leeds <sighs> family. The Leeds family who are still around in New Jersey. Yeah. So cheers to all the Leeds. Cheers. Uh, one of the leads, I'll see if I can find a link to it, wrote a, a book called My mm -hmm. Uncle the Jersey Devil. Yeah. So um, I read a few interviews with him. I I think it looks really fun. Yeah. Um, if you want to read more about the Leeds family, this guy explores it a lot. I don't know who else to really toast in this one. Yes, Agamemnon. Definitely Agamemnon. For helping to keep the, the Pineys private. Oh, yeah. And the Pineys. Yeah. They went through hell. Mm -hmm. Cheers to them. Yeah. And if we wandered into the Pine Barrens, which we have done, and it did not end well, we, we would, would be, be dead. dead. Especially if 
My husband John was not there. Oh, we'd still be there. Yeah. And it was over a year ago, so we... Maybe we're saying this from beyond the grave! We're the Jersey Devil now! It's us! <laughs> it might be, though. They don't know. No. Mm-mm. I... <laughs> Wait, make the sound. thank you for listening to the we would be dead podcast hit subscribe now to never miss an episode rate and review our show on itunes follow us on facebook instagram and twitter at would be dead pod and join our facebook group to discuss the podcast and more Agamemnon, the Jersey Devil, devil worth dying for, yeah. Shines, I would share the whole night.
dancing leads to, Leslie. I know. We should have kept the Holy dry Spirit humping. between them. Listen, <laughs> if you don't think that slow dancing leads to dry humping, I don't know if you've done any slow dancing. I've done a lot of slow dancing. <laughs> <laughs> then you then know. know. <laughs> <laughs> Dawn's tag this week is going to be like, slow dancing leads to dry humping. And it's going to make no sense. <laughs> Shame. <laughs> Shame. <laughs>